This morning is Sunday. It is June 18th. It is Father's Day. And my son Judah is going to read. Our message this morning is called Devoted. It's the second in a series. The first was Devoted to the Teaching of the Apostles. The second is Devoted to Fellowship. And uh, Judah's going to read a, a proverb. Son, which proverb is this? Uh, Proverbs 15, 30. 30. Read that loud. A cheerful look brings, brings joy to the heart, and, a, and good news brings health to the bones. Very good. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Good news is health to the bones. The opposite's true, too, unfortunately. Ever seen somebody scowl at you and it ruined your day? Wondered why they were upset at you? And the truth was, they were thinking about the fact that they left the pilot light on in something. Or, or that it went out. That's right. Hallelujah. Y'all excited about Jesus? You know, during this worship service, all of a sudden I realized that God called us and He didn't want us to be a traditional service. He didn't want us to be a traditional church and that it was all right with Him if we deviated any way that we wanted to. And uh, we're going to do more of that. And the same thought hits you every time, too, that guests are here. You, You think about that, you know, not deviating and making it a normal service. I can promise you we are going to have some Holy Ghost strange services soon because Jesus is going to show us how to move outside the box. I think real soon y'all are going to show up and we're going to preach and then worship. That way we have a chance to put into practice what we just learned. Uh, we're going to incorporate some more altar time. It's kind of awkward everybody's saved, you know. But the altar's not for getting people saved only. Amen. I'm ready to see some of you guys break forth in new ways. Like Jennifer Hall, who spoke and prophesied in tongues not long ago. That's awesome. The Lord spoke to me and said, no longer was she going to be allowed to keep quiet. That little girl's got beautiful things in her heart, and they're going to start flowing out of her mouth. Isn't it horrible that I'll point out people like that? (laughs) Or Stephen, who's going to be a father to many children. A priest. I saw him clad in Aaron's garments. Isn't that interesting? Exciting stuff, isn't it? Or Patricia, who's blossoming and budding like a flower. All right. Uh, this morning's word is going to start in Acts. Y'all remember that last Sunday we talked about devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Y'all remember why? Y'all can talk to me. I get my feelings hurt and run out of here, and then what would you do? Amen. When you have a founding in the Word, when you're devoted to the teaching of the apostles, you're equipped for every situation. You have something to offer people who are in need. The more you read, the more you study, the more you stay immersed in the Scriptures, the more your life changes, the more you're empowered, the more you're excited, the more you have something to offer. Some of you are trapped in this false sense of humility that says, you know, I'm nobody and I'm nothing. And yet God's called you to be a conqueror and above everything. When you fill yourself with Him, He's what you're giving everyone. Isn't that great? Not about Steve. Not about TJ anymore. It's about what God's put in you and done in you. And you share it with everybody everywhere you go. Which brings us to our topic, fellowship. You've got to have people to share it with. We call that fellowship. In Greek, that's koinonia. It's a kind of warm, loving fellowship that Christians experience. Part of a called out team together, a holy assembly. In Acts 2, verse 42, I want to start with this text again. We are very fond, especially in charismatic Christianity, but also in, I guess, all evangelical Christianity, of emulating and and, uh, otherwise setting apart uh, as something, as an example, the early church, the church in the book of Acts. We're excited about it because we see miracles were working. We see awesome things happening. Some people have decided that it was so powerful that when they looked at their lives today, they said, oh, this, this doesn't compare. It must have been a special dispensation, the age of the apostles. Well, I'm here to tell you that it was not something that is unattainable today. And within the book of Acts is laid down the pattern for seeing all of these things happen. That's why I taught about the teaching of the apostles last week. Verse 42, let's pick up here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I would say that is just an excellent goal for us to shoot for, don't you think? Don't you love when you see your brothers and sisters with glad and sincere hearts? When you don't have to ask when you get to their house whether or not you can have a glass of water because it would be insulting? Yeah. You know, we're so close we don't even knock on each other's doors half the time, do we, Matthew? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, when, uh, when we talk about the teaching of the apostles, we need to get to a place, and I'm going to move on to fellowship, I promise, but where we go beyond just knowing what they said and understanding their motivations, moving in the same flow of the Spirit that they had. And a great example of the difference between hearing instruction and understanding instruction happened while we were in Padre. Cassidy even snapped a picture of it that is t- more tasteful than the event's going to sound when I do it. It was low tide one morning. We were all on the beach. We had watched the tide go out, but there were puddles of seawater left on the beach. And there were sunbathers everywhere, right? And uh, just so happened that there were several uh, females on the beach laying on their towels right by a big puddle of seawater. Okay? You know what little boys like to do in puddles of seawater? They go catch their little minnows and... They dig and look for crabs and all of those things. Well, my boys are no different. And my youngest son, Gabriel, said, Daddy, I've I, I got to go to the bathroom. And uh, being the lazy father that I am, you know, I said, well, what do you have to do, son? You know, and he looks at me and gives me the international sign for I have to urinate, which is the number one, you know. And uh, I said, well, baby, that's no problem. We're at the beach. Go get in the water. You can do that in the water. He looked at me with surprise. Joy, even. You know, little boys, they're unique creatures. He's excited about that. I go off talking to Matthew and not thinking much about it. And uh, we look up in the distance and maybe 60 yards from the actual ocean with his feet two inches deep in a puddle standing right next to sunbathers, Gabriel has dropped trowel and is urinating on the beach. That might have ruined those young ladies' day. He heard my instruction though, didn't he? I told him to go get in the seawater and he could urinate. And he sure enough did. But he didn't understand what I was trying to tell him, did he? The church is like that so often. We've heard the words of Jesus, but we just are not applying them correctly. There's only one way to fix that. You need to hang around other people that are striving to apply the words to. We begin to see where what bears fruit and what doesn't. You know? If you're in a church that says they believe in healing, but never does anybody get healed, ever, you know, you've seen the people for 20 years, and in 20 years there's never been a healing, it might be that they're applying the Scripture wrong. If you see some people that maybe you don't understand everything that they're doing, you may not agree with everything that they're doing, you don't like them, but they pray for healing and they see people get healed constantly, it might be that they're applying the Scripture scripture correctly. You know, we need to be big enough to look around us in fellowship and learn from each other. You know, I I have seen people that I honestly would have a hard time sitting down agreeing on doctrinal statements with. But I couldn't deny the fruit that was in their life and I was thankful for it. Does that make sense to you? Fellowship was about diversity rubbing off on us, not for the sake of diversity, for the sake of all of us becoming more like Jesus. Isn't that good? Okay, turn with me. Psalm 86. And while you do that, I want to read to you one other thing about teaching. Okay? Because we're moving on from teaching. Paul had an attitude. And his attitude about his teaching is displayed in 1 Corinthians 4.15. I told you all to go to Psalm 86 and I want you there, but I'm going to read this to you. 1 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore I urge you to imitate me. By the way, that's what disciples are. 
They're not just people who are disciplined, not just people who are learning, but people who actually want to imitate Jesus. In other words, they don't just understand Him. They don't just know about Him. They try to live like Him. Therefore, I urge you to imitate Me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in all of the churches. My goal for our ministry is for our way of life to agree with what we teach. And for one of us to be able to send any of the others to someone else to remind them of our way of life and what we teach. That's called being devoted to the teaching of the apostles. When we know that we could send Cassidy to a church in Nome, Alaska, and that her very life would display what we teach, then we've done a good job. When we know that Patricia and TJ could set off to a church in Hawaii, wouldn't you like that? And while they were there, they would see something in their way of life that confirmed the message that we teach. That's a good thing. That's, that's applying the teaching of the apostles. That's literally being devoted to it. Are you all in uh, Psalm 86? Okay, I will get there and then we will read it together. In Psalm 86, we hear these words. It's a prayer of David. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. It's one thing when somebody asks you to do something and you have no relationship with them. It's quite another when you have a very close, intimate relationship. You ever had somebody watch the way you interact with other Christians? Maybe the way you fix each other's cars, the way you fix each other's hair, the way you mow each other's grass, the way you watch each other's kids the way you take care of each other as the family of God. And they see it and they don't understand. And they think either some of you are stupid and allow everybody to take advantage of you, or there's some weird secret that you all have that they don't have. You know, they don't quite understand it. I think sometimes when people are approaching God, asking God like a cosmic genie in the sky to do something for them, they've missed David's heart that says, I'm devoted to you, Lord. I'm asking you to take care of me because I'm yours. I belong to you. Not simply because I'm in need, but because I'm in need and I have depended on you. It's like the man said in Old Testament Israel. He said, God, don't let man triumph over me. I rely on you. I rely on Jesus. That's what this says. Guard my life for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Did you know you had the ability to lift up your soul? You did it this morning. When you came in here and we began to worship and we talked about stirring the waters, when we began to exert ourselves in worship, we were lifting up our soul. God's given you everything that you need to do that anytime you choose to. So when you sit around with the mully grubs, you need to practice soul lifting. Well, that sounds new agey and weird, doesn't it? It's okay, maybe it'll make people look at the Word and try to figure out what we're talking about. For to you I lift up my soul. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Why do you think he goes from, for it's to you I lift up my soul to you are forgiving and good? What keeps Christians from lifting up their soul 90% of the time? I was with a couple here recently and looked right at them and said, Are you praying in the Spirit? No. I didn't have to ask. I knew. I asked because I wanted them to say what was going on. You know why? Why were they not praying in the Spirit? They didn't feel like they had done very well. Now let me ask you something. When you've not done very well, do you need to pray in the Spirit more or less? <laughs> but what's the devil tell you? You can't speak for words of God, you just blah, blah, blah. David said, to you I'll lift up my soul, for you are forgiven and good. He understood that God's desire was that we rise to meet Him. Not because we're great, but because He's forgiving and good. And He will honor your effort. He will come through every time. 
You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to You. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to You, for You will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like You, O Lord. No deeds can compare with Yours. All the nations You have made will come and worship before You, O Lord. They will bring glory to Your name. For You are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me Your way, O Lord. I will walk in Your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear Your name. I will praise You, O Lord, my God. With all my heart, I will glorify Your name forever. For great is Your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. I have something written in my Bible right there. By the way, I had not planned at all on sharing this psalm and during the worship it came to me. You know what's written in my Bible right there? Next to David saying, You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. It's the great miracle in Scripture. Me too. That's what's written in my Bible right there. Me too. This is not powerful because you read and see that David did these things. It's not powerful at all. What's powerful is that when you read it, you can see that it works the same way in your life. That's applying the teaching of the apostles. The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. Men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Your footnote will say your faithful son. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. What a good song, isn't it? I came to the conclusion the other day while we were talking that what I really should do is probably read to you 90% of the time and talk to you about it 10% of the time. The Word really is excellent. It needs very little expounding, doesn't it? So often we'll take a letter, like a letter to Titus. We'll take two verses out of the letter to Titus and then talk for an hour about it. Why not just read the letter to Titus? Was Paul really that confusing? This was a song that David sang. Isn't it lifting your soul just to hear it? We have such a need to be entertained, don't we? We're talking about fellowship this morning. Israel was a little different than we are. They had seven national feasts. These national feasts were in addition to all of their normal fellowship. Everywhere there were ten men, you could have a synagogue, a quorum. You know why ten men? Because ten men, giving a tenth of what they made, provided for one man to minister to them all of the time. Boy, how poor would people be if that was the model in the American church? Isn't that amazing? But Israel met weekly in the synagogues. They met at scheduled times of the day in prayer. And constantly they're referred to as a community, an assembly. This is foreign to us, guys. We're so individualistic. We go to our own jobs. We drive our cars back to our... There's a public transportation system here in Houston. How many of you have ever been on it? Charlotte. She works downtown. Why don't people ride the bus? Be honest with me. It's cheaper, isn't it? It's cheaper to ride the bus, isn't it? Most people don't want to be next to people on the bus. They don't want to hang out with other people. We have learned to seclude ourselves in every way. We do things only with our closest friends. And then many of us, you know, it's a scheduled event to do something with other people once in a month. And we lead solitary, lonely lives. God did not call us to be that way. In fact, His model for a community were people that met at regularly scheduled prayer times together throughout the week, three times a day. People that brought their sacrifices all to the same place so that they would see they had all things in common and did that on a daily basis, not weekly basis. And then seven times a year, they had feasts. And at these feasts, there was a specific purpose. The purpose was so that when the children said, Father, why do we do these things? He could explain. Today is also Daddy's Day. The father had a rule in the house. 
It was to teach the children. If you'll turn with me to Exodus 12, we're going to look at something about these feasts. See what they're called. Now, when I say Exodus 12, do you all know which feast we're going to? Somebody? In Exodus 12? Passover! Mandy Wakefield, an excellent student of the Word. Thanks for speaking up, sweetheart. In Exodus 12, we have the testimony that Steve gave between the worship part of the service and the preaching part of the service about the Passover lamb and what it was for. And if I begin to read that and teach on that, then we will never get to fellowship. But you're familiar with it. Each household takes a lamb on the 10th of Nisan. They take it into their house so that they can get close to it, well acquainted with it. It's a year-old man without any major defect. If you had a lamb in your house for four days, do you think your kids might like it? My dad's here this morning, and he had a goat. Actually, he had hundreds of goats. And one of them was a little different than the others. Its hair didn't look the same way, and we called it Slick Goat. And Slick Goat rode in the car with us. Slick Goat went in the house with us. Slick Goat went everywhere with us. If I had to kill Slick Goat for something that I did, it would have broken my heart. That was the point of the Passover. Can you imagine that? How about your favorite family pet? We couldn't use mine. They're defective. <laughs> I think my dachshund has breached the requirement. <laughs> in Exodus 12, starting in verse 14, after he describes how you do this Passover, verse 14 says this, This is a day you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly. Another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. After receiving the Passover lamb, the very first thing that we do is enter into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, on the very first day, you are not allowed to do anything except to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. They were allowed to read the Torah. They were allowed to have their children ask them questions about God and then them explain it. Fellowship is important. If this were us in the church today, what we would have is not a seven-day week where you did very little or that started with a sacred assembly and ended with a sacred assembly that was the entire day. We would have little infomercials to show people how to apply it. And we would tape them and send them to people's houses so that if they couldn't make it to the fellowship or the assembly, they could get the information in their houses alone. I was asked about cyber church by people because our internet ministry is growing. My initial reaction was no, 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 a thousand times no because I don't want people sitting in their homes staring at a computer screen for fellowship. Now, in instances where that's just a supplement, it's to devote to the teaching of the apostles and their fellowshipping in other places, that's great. But I didn't want to contribute to an American tendency which is to seclude yourself, to get all you can for you and no other, and to not be out and share it with anybody. What would be the point? What is the point of learning everything there is to know about Jesus, being the most powerful Christian on earth if you live in a monastery and never leave it? What would be the point? Why would that be any good? What does James say? What kind of religion does God our Father honor as pure and faultless? The kind that takes care of widows and orphans. Where do you find them? How do you interact with them? comes in fellowship. We don't come here this morning just because we want to do uh, some social service for God. We didn't come here just to appease our conscience this morning. I mean, if you did, it won't do any good. He'll surely burn you if church attendance is all you have to show for yourself. We came here this morning because we desire for our lives to interact with each other because it makes us better people. In fact... 
As we read, and I'm going to teach you a little bit more about the feast just because it's fun, but I might hold your interest. As we read, you're going to find out that fellowship with one another is fellowship with Jesus. And fellowship with Jesus is fellowship with the Father. It's amazing. Jesus said that about four times in His ministry. He explained that when we are one, and He goes to say no divisions among you, it makes you one with Him. And when you're one with Him, you're one with the Father. So when I spent time with David in Starbucks the other day, and we talked about... Starbucks, how about that? It's the Christian bar. When I spent time with David the other day, and we were talking about Jesus, and I was learning from him, and he was learning from me, and we were interacting as two men before God, Jesus was there. It was like spending time with Jesus. Now, Jesus looks a little different when he's inside of David than when he's inside of Brad than when he's inside of Bobby. But to the extent that we are the body of Christ and we begin to act like Jesus, our sacred assemblies are time with Jesus. Now, we are so fond of talking about Jesus being with us here in spirit, right? You can be out on a fishing trip and He'd be there with you in spirit. You can be on a deer stand. He's there with you in spirit. But we ignore Jesus in the flesh right here with us. Fellowship is important because it makes us better people. It makes us closer to Jesus and it allows us to put into practice the apostles' teaching. That's why teaching came first in that sentence, and then fellowship, and then breaking of bread, and then prayer. There's a natural progression. They all flow right into each other. So Israel had these seven feasts. In three of the feasts, three times, no matter where you were on the globe, you had to go to Jerusalem. In fact, Pentecost... When we read about that in Acts chapter 2, you see that there were Jews from all over the globe in Jerusalem. In other words, when God set up His perfect community, not only did He have seven times a year an opportunity for children to ask questions and the parents answer and teach about Israel's history, but three of those times, you all had to go to the same city on the planet. That could be pretty hard to do if you were around the ocean. I mean, Jews had been scattered out in the Babylonian and Assyrian oppressions and captivities. Uh, as Rome had increased its grip upon Israel, they had spread out further into the Roman world. Some found Roman citizenship like Paul so that they could travel free. It could be difficult. But Paul said like this in Acts, there's a feast I must keep in Jerusalem. Take a Bible concordance. Look that up. Must keep. He didn't see it as optional because it was given to Israel as a requirement. Fellowship is a requirement for us. The shadow and type shows it, and we'll show you New Testament Scriptures that say, do not forsake it. And there's a reason. We glean and gather from one another. We make each other better people. Dwelling in here with you is dwelling with the body of Christ. See, we're not those things in name only. There's a reality to it. So they did this, and as you progress through the feast, you start with Passover. And Passover, they receive the atonement of the Messiah. And unleavened bread, get this, daddy goes through the house. It has been cleaned to the point where they have scrubbed the walls and repainted the walls. They have taken every utensil in the kitchen and boiled them, scoured them. The mother has spent countless hours removing all yeast from the house. And then they do something for the sake of the fellowship. They take little crumbles of bread and they put them on window seals and in corners and they let the house get dark and the father takes a candle, the light of God's Word, and he takes his children around and they look for the little bread crumbs and they're excited to find them because leaven is like sin in the Bible. And they watch Daddy scrape them into a bag, take them outside of their house and they watch them get burned. The kids learned from that. They learned from their father. We learn in fellowship. The Bible teaches us, in fact, that there are birth fathers and there are spiritual fathers. Paul said you may have uh, 10,000 people in Christ that you love, that you're close to, but you don't have many fathers. He was like a father to some people. This morning, some of the prophecies about Steve were that he would be a father to people. Where does all of that happen? How do you get close enough to people that are not yours biologically that they would look to you like a father? 
happens in fellowship. Everything good happens in fellowship. Moving on from the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we get to the Feast of First Fruits. You know, the 15th of Nisan is when the lamb was killed. The 15th of Nisan, we start the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And somewhere right around the 16th of Nisan, we have the Feast of First Fruits. This is when every person collectively, as a community, has gone out into their own fields. They've taken a sheaf of barley. Usually, this is specially kept in a corner of the field. They, they, they specially selected the very best of the best of the best. And then they all bring their wave offerings to God, these sheaves of barley, showing God, look, here's the first of what you've brought me in produce. And symbolically, because Jesus was raised from the dead on this day, it showed that Jesus was the first fruits from those who rose from the dead that we would rise just like he did but they did this as a community so that brad would see david carrying his sheep there so that they would have the same testimony they would all see each other giving the first of what they had to god and they would be encouraged by it i bet that was hard to do in famine years can you imagine i bet that was hard to do at times and if I was struggling with being able to do it and I looked up and saw Craig gathering his together, I bet I would be spurred on to do what God had asked of me. More so, if I saw Craig's faithfulness to this, I would know that if I needed something, Craig might supply my need. And David would know if he needed something, I might supply his need. And that sense of community sustained them. I was in a museum in Israel. And it was with the mayor's wife. And she teared up. And I didn't know what to think of her at first. You know, politicians are interesting people. You know? I heard a president that was known for some immoral things that he had done talk to a group of evangelical pastors one time. And then within a few minutes I thought, wow, this guy's a good guy. <laughs> you know? Politicians have a way about them. Almost like actors. So I didn't know what to think of this lady. And when she began to well up with tears as she told me this story, my very first thought was skepticism. But she's pointing to a fresco behind her that showed uh, the Romans carrying out of Israel the articles, I'm sorry, not the Romans, the Babylonians, carrying the articles from the temple out of Israel. She started to cry. She said, the Babylonians conquered us and the Romans conquered us. Rome ruled the earth. Babylon ruled the earth. But Rome is not here today and Israel is. They're thrown out of their land. They were tried to be forced to speak languages other than Hebrew. In fact, Hebrew looked dead for a long time, gave way to Yiddish and other languages. Their very culture was threatened and almost destroyed. The things that make them a nation went away. And by all conventional wisdom they should have ceased to be a people you know why they didn't they fellowshiped with each other they were cliquish they clung to each other no matter where they were in any community that they were in the world can the church not learn from that we're too individualistic saints we think about us and our household and our daily affairs too much we need to learn to mesh with each other to see ourselves as one community of believers. One day, your very survival may depend on it. Or is it for the Jew only that sufferings are appointed? Read the Scripture, saints. Anybody who wants to live a godly life will suffer. Move on from first fruits. Fifty days later, we have Pentecost. That's where they make good on what they just promised at first fruits. They bring in the whole harvest. They celebrated the giving of the law. They celebrated the harvest time. And they did it together as an entire nation. Pentecost was the birthplace of the church. It's interesting that a Jew from every nation, every language spoken on the planet was there at the day that the, the church was born. And today in America, we have white churches and black churches, rich churches and poor churches. How many ways have we segregated this thing? God desires us to learn to mesh with each other. Because the more we fellowship, the stronger we will be. Now, it's interesting. There are the months that Israel began their uh, Passover was said to be their first month. God changed the calendar. That shows you as a Christian that the moment that you become born again, your past is erased, starting a new life. 
It wasn't their first month, but God called it their first month. In this first month, this month of Nisan, we have Passover, we have unleavened bread, and we have first fruits. Then 50 days goes by, and we have Pentecost, called the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. Then there is a gap. It's the longest gap between all of the feasts, a time where there's not as much fellowship, not as much going on, and it would be harder. You ever have a vacation in the distance and you look forward to it? And that's what you're praying for every week. You think one more week to a vacation? And then you get to a time period where my wife actually said it when we came back. Oh, what are we going to look forward to now? I said, Sunday! <laughs> Sunday! Wednesday! This was a hard time period in Israel because they were not experiencing community in the way that they normally experienced community. They had to do it on a much smaller scale, wherever they could. Then we would get to Tishri, the seventh month. You think it's interesting that the Jewish feasts are spread out over seven months? That three that have to do with salvation and birth start in the first month? And the remaining ones happen in the seventh? The Feast of Trumpets occurs. This would be a trumpet call that would announce to everybody, God is fixing to do something. The Day of Atonement is at hand. On the Day of Atonement, which was the next feast, all of Israel got together with a sacred assembly. Every single person there in Israel fasted. They all prayed. They all together saw that their nation, community, together would receive from God. Think about how different that is than the way we describe salvation. What do we say? On such and such day, I was saved. Jesus became my personal Savior. My own little pocket God. Right? Doesn't it sound like that? You know, the Jews are very confused to hear us talk like that. When you say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? That sounds to them like you are lowering God to not be God over everybody, but to be your own specific idol. They don't understand it because they are communal because God designed them to be that way. I wish to God the church was more that way. That when we were talking with our brothers and sisters, we remembered, and it was at the forefront of our mind, that He was not our Jesus only, but their Jesus as well. We might talk to them differently, huh? Might act differently. Might see different potential in them. Might have confidence in them in a new way. As you went on from the Day of Atonement, this is the third feast where all of Israel had to be there. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. All of Israel together celebrated the time period that they wandered in the desert in temporary booths. All of Israel celebrated that. That's because all of the body of Christ is wandering in these bodies that are our tents, waiting for a building to come from God. But three times a year, every Jew on the planet had to get to the same place to have a sense of community. They were already doing it. There were Levitical cities that they went to on a regular basis, even before the temple period. There was already within their local community groups that were formed for the sense of community, but the whole body had to get together. Fellowship is important. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. Jimmy Swaggart used to sing a song, I'm going to a meeting. They do these camp meetings and there's a sense of excitement in the air. We used to listen to their radio broadcast. There was a sense of excitement in the air when camp meeting time would come around. They'd start singing those songs, I'm going to a meeting, I'm going to a meeting. You might hear something there that will help you on your way. In Christianity, our strength is not our soul, lonely existence where we study the Scripture and are God's militia or mercenaries. Our strength is in the way that we unite with each other. The early church had all things in common. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and they devoted themselves to fellowship. As they did those things, it naturally spilled over into sharing everything they had, the breaking of bread, and to prayer time. Their prayer time, by the way, was corporate. When's the last time every one of us got together and joined together in prayer that lasts longer than 15 minutes? Not the way I started Christianity. The reason Matthew and I have such a strong bond is because 
we came from an athletic background together where our friendship was forged, where you practiced for hours together. So when we got together to study and read the Word, we followed that same format. Our huddle was on our knees. We locked arms and we prayed, sometimes for hours. We read the Word together and then we talked about it. We didn't have a sense that one was instructing the other. We thought of us both as instructing each other and it, and it growing. That's a pure Christianity. It's funny, as time goes on, church shapes us. And the way the church shapes us is not always right. Not always right. But I want to change that. Y'all in Corinthians? In Corinthians 1, starting in verse 4, I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, is faithful. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no division among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My wife and I can look at each other across the room with absolutely nonverbal contact. We have an entirely uh, an entire language worked out. She can cut her eyes a certain way, and I know exactly what is on her mind. She can look at me and raise her hand in a certain way, and I know exactly what is on her mind. How did that happen? Is it because we're Star Trek people and telepathic? comes from knowing each other, being intimate with each other. I can look in the back of the church right now, see Brad's facial expression or Mandy's facial expression and have a good idea of their feeling. Lord, I can even do it with my dachshund. Where my dachshund's ears are placed on her head, tell me the mood and temperament that she's in. She puts them back and points them backwards when she's done something wrong and she's scared. You know? They... You learn from being around people how to be of one mind and one accord. Get this. The entire church is supposed to be that way. It's okay that Patricia and Matthew are close if Patricia is also close with everybody else. It's okay that Bob and Eric have a great relationship. I mean, that's a good start. But where community is is when Bobby and Craig and Bobby and Steve and Bobby and Matthew all have a great relationship. It is not okay for us to segment into our little cliques and be happy and confident in our relationships, maybe Eric and TJ, but surely not TJ and Judah. That's not okay. The Bible says that we are supposed to all be united in faith, having all things in common, be united with no divisions among us. Now, when you say division, what we think of usually is a problem. I can be in the same room with my wife at times. There'd be no problem there, but there'd be a division. <laughs> you know? You ever been watching a football game, Matthew? Wife was there. Maybe she wanted to talk about something. There was no problem there, but there was certainly a division in the room that may eventually lead to a problem. Right? You're in the same room. You thought you were spending time together and you, you were in the guy sense, <laughs> but not in the female sense. Well, God wants us to interact with each other because we learn from each other's lives. I'm encouraging you, church, push outside of your boundaries. I'm encouraging you. The men are even doing a pray it forward thing. <laughs> we throw lots. That's a nice way to say we cast dice. <laughs> That's how Christians say that. <laughs> we, we, no money exchanged yet. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> cast lots to determine an order that we believe God had so that we don't naturally gravitate towards the people that are easiest to talk to. And when we set up our prayer, we do it that way. Now, at first that seemed kind of corny to me. Sorry, Craig. Kind of cliche. It's been wonderful. It's been the best thing that could ever happen. I can assure you I never would have picked the order. 
Why did God give somebody in the fellowship that idea? Number one, He did not give it to me. I wouldn't even been able to receive it. Somebody else came, gave it to me, and said, you know, that's good. Do that. Never would have occurred to me. That's in it the benefit of fellowship. But God do that? Because He wants us to grow together and have all things in common. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Turn with me to John 17. See if we can get more to the point. Y'all still with me? Johannes. John 17, starting in verse 11. Remember, our goal here is to build a powerful church that Jesus can bless. A church that He can bring people to daily because He's confident in what they will come into contact with here. Anybody watch that show Meerkat Manor? Yeah, I've been watching Meerkat Manor. I'm a real sucker for the furry little animals, you know. They're 12 inches tall, weigh 2 pounds, and look like dachshunds to me, you know. There's this one meerkat on there named Shakespeare. What an excellent name for a little animal, right? And I was immediately drawn to Shakespeare. He was taking care of everybody. He wasn't the alpha male. He wasn't the one responsible for protecting everybody. He wasn't the one responsible for siring all of the children. But, like, he found an orphan meerkat and brought it back to the meerkat manor. The saddest moment to me of the show, I'm sitting here watching this with my two little boys trying not to cry. He gets bit by a snake. And when he gets bitten by the snake... The other meerkats don't notice. And so he's just kind of left out there straggling and dying. The hardest moment in Christian lives is when you feel like you've been isolated and you're alone. And that should never be snake-bitten and alone. There's a couple in here that at one time was in Austin, alone, isolated for a while. Now look at those years of darkest years in their life. Not because... Their lives were horrible, but because they were separated from the body of Christ, and it was hard. We gained strength from fellowship. We were not meant to lead isolated lives. Now, those of you that live near that manor, I don't want to leave you hanging there. He has two sisters that come out and spend the day with him. They don't go eat. They don't go do anything that normal cats do so that they can sit with their brother. I'm watching furry little animals and seeing Jesus in it. There are times in my life when I've been, I didn't necessarily need a word. I didn't necessarily need anything else. I just needed a brother to sit with me for a while. Some of you have done that and I appreciate it. Y'all in John 17? Is it alright that I talk to you about Jesus and meerkats? Okay. (laughs) In John 17 verse 11 I will remain in the world no longer but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus saw protection in the fact that the church would be one. It's the stragglers who get picked off. You will never find a case of demonic possession. Never, never will you find a case of demonic possession among somebody who is very socially active. It will not happen. It is always the loner, drawn off into isolation in the tombs and the catacombs, like the Bible says. We are easier targets when we are not in fellowship, and even nature teaches you that. And yet, somehow, we always tell ourselves the same lie. I'm strong enough. And as the bag gets slipped over your head and you start to get beat up, the devil tells you the same lies. You're different than them. They don't like you. They won't accept you, whatever it is. I've watched this lots and lots of times. Fellowship keeps you strong. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word. 
and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Saints, who's that? Well, Jesus just wanted the apostles to be one, right? Well, let's see. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have, even as you have loved me. As we begin to dwell together in fellowship, we stand out. We are different. Because somebody will look at Brad and say, he's a single man. Brad, what's going on in your life? And as Brad begins to talk about the things going on in his life, they say, what? Who's this Steve guy? Must be your uncle, right? No. Must be your brother, right? Well, kind of, but not in the way you think. They begin to see that our social circle, not just a country club, is like a family and that it includes people from every tribe, race, language, and nation on the planet. And they're drawn to that, curiously. We're protected in it because things that Brad can't see, Steve can. Things that Steve can't see, Brad can. We're protected in fellowship. You remember Jesus started this whole discourse by saying, Father, protect them, that they would be one. That they would be one with each other, be one with me, and that we would all be one. Over and over and over. Saints, when we dwell together without division, not only are we benefited and protected, but we are one with the Father. Because that's what Jesus is really doing. He's drawing together people from all over the globe to form one unique unit that God can fully dwell in. You know who ends up busting hell wide open? Those that simply could not dwell in the community of believers because they didn't want to play ball by the right rules. Because they didn't believe that it was really happening. Didn't believe that it was really important. Moving on from John 17. 1 John 1.3 says it to me fairly powerfully. Fellowship. You remember one time Jesus was in a boat, sleeping, <laughs> big storm. What did the apostles do? What did they say? They're in a boat. The waves are coming. What did they say? Save us, Lord. We perish. I preached several messages on that, and my favorite title was, We're All in the Same Boat. They forgot one powerful message. They forgot Jesus was in the boat with them. They couldn't die. They couldn't perish, right? Right? Fellowship. We're all in the same boat, guys. It's an English word, but it, it, we have all thrown our lot in the same boat. That's exactly what it means. Now, that may not be the etymology of the word, but I'm telling you that we can derive that meaning from it. We need to view our lives as having all things in common. Brad didn't just get a job. We're all excited because Brad got a job. It's just as if you got it. One of us hurts. It's not just the one who hurts. We will all pitch in and find a way to make it right because we care about each other. Is that not love one for another? The little song that you grew up singing. They will know we are Christians by our... How would they know that if you were isolated? The love. We could go do what our Roman brothers have done. We could build these blocks in them. How would anybody know that you were a Christian? How would you be protected? Maybe there's some in those places. Yeah. We some, we, somehow it's innately spiritual that somebody's been hiding in a cave for 20 years and hasn't spoken. People are all waiting around the mouth of the cave for the idiot to speak. There's nothing that could be further from God's will for any person's life. He made you to be social. In fact, it's depressing not to be. You know in 1 John? In 1 John 1, look at verse 3. 
We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light and He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of His Son purifies us from all sin. When you are not walking in the fellowship of the saints, According to this passage, and I had never read it this way before today, you are walking in darkness. Fellowship with Him is walking in God's light. And He clearly says that that's the same as fellowshipping with us. See, when I dwell around you guys, what does it do for me? Well, let me, let me use myself as an example in another way. If I am all alone, and I'm working on something that is hard, and it's frustrating, and time goes on and on and on, and I'm all alone, my thoughts begin to creep in and they begin to war with my spirit. Come on, y'all never been frustrated with a task and all alone? And before long, I'm fighting with thoughts that I don't want to have. Now, praise God, I'm a Christian. I'm fighting with those thoughts. But the battle's there. There are thoughts that I don't want. The longer I'm alone, the harder it is to fight with those thoughts. Let there be one other brother there to change the subject. One other brother there to interject something about Jesus and all of a sudden my thoughts are again on whatever is pure, profitable, excellent, or praiseworthy. In Christianity, we serve each other if by no other way by helping each other to control our thoughts by talking about what is good. I've observed personally that you can be in the worst circumstances on earth but with, you're with the right brothers, it's fun. I was with a couple last night and a car broke down. On the way to our event, the car broke down. That's not fun, is it? That's not a good thing, is it? We're all dressed nice, some nicer than others. We don't want to walk where we're going. This is Houston. It's hot. We're also nice, delicate flowers, and there are mean people in Houston who might want to hurt us. And you know what? It was fun. Because we laughed and joked and talked about Jesus the whole way we were walking. I can tell you, if I was alone, that might not have been fun. Fellowship makes everything easier. Psalm 82 starts this way. God presides in the great assembly. Boy, isn't that neat? He gives judgment among the gods. We know from past reading Psalm of 82, the gods he's speaking about are those who were called to be like God, Israel. And that's a whole other teaching. But what is neat is that God presided in the great assembly. When we all get together, if we're the body of Christ, then God is here. And so when we fellowship with one another, we are fellowshipping with God. Isn't that contrary to our thoughts? Don't you normally think that to meet with God, you need to get away from everybody? I mean, isn't that a pretty common thing? I know Jesus went up to a mountain to pray. But where did Jesus spend most of His time? with other people. Now, mind you, he did go off to a mountain to pray. They were not spirit-filled believers yet. You know, Pentecost had not come. He was constantly talking to them saying, are you still so dull? Had the shoe been on the other foot, had we been 30 years past Pentecost, he might not have had to go to the mountain to pray. You understand what I'm trying to say? I'm not trying to logical point about Jesus' mountaintop experiences. What I'm trying to tell you is we tend to think of God meeting with us in our solitude alone. But the truth is, the biblical example is that He meets with us in the assembly more than in our solitude. There are times He takes us off to the solitude, but that's only when the assembly is not right. You know, if He's got to get Elijah alone under a broom tree, it's because the majority of Israel is running after something they ought not. If he has to pull Moses up on a mountain to meet with him alone, it's because the general assembly is wrong. They're not doing right. But if we come together, all of us, with our hearts set on doing what is right, we're meeting with God. We've effectively brought the mountaintop to us, all of us, at one time, and we all benefit from it. Galatians 6 says this. We're going to close here. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weak in doing good. 
those young girls, they do get weary. <laughs> Let us not become weary in doing good. Craig and Charlie brought me out last night and forced me to listen to old music. We do get weary sometimes. Not wearing that same old dress. That's not what I was trying to say. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Guys, it can be laborsome. It can be hard work to hang out with people constantly. You begin to have thoughts like, if I could just get one night alone, or a sleep in one night. But the truth is, my spirit man does better with less sleep and more fellowship than it does with more sleep and less fellowship. We need to make that decision. You need to be willing, and here's where the very best fellowship comes. When you would rather be doing something else. And why would you rather be doing something else? Because the devil's trying to prevent you from being in fellowship because he knows it makes you strong. How often have you let your detailed schedule keep you from being somewhere where God showed up? How often have you let your plans, your children's schedule, your thoughts and desires keep you from being at a God-ordained meeting? Don't do it. Don't do it. So, well, Eric, where's the wisdom in that? The wisdom that places first the kingdom and lets everything else fall where it may. God's a good God. He knows what you need before you ask. He'll make sure your kids get the rest they need. He'll make sure you get the food you need. He'll make sure that you're okay if you place Him first. Now, when I say place Him first, remember, one of the primary ways, if not the primary way you meet with Him is Him in other people. Isn't that Why do you think the early church grew so powerfully? Why do you think when they prayed, the ground shook? Why do you think there were miracles constantly? They had all things in common. And why do you think they had to fellowship so much? They faced such great persecution, they needed each other's encouragement. I bet you all would cling to one another like men clinging to a life raft in a sea of sharks if they were hauling us off to the George R. Brown Assembly Center and feeding us to lions. You know, you'd be saying things like, Bobby, pray with me. Pray that my faith doesn't fail. Pray with me because my, my wife and children are going to be left behind and I know that Jesus will take care of them, but I'm struggling. Help me. Why do we have to be surrounded by sharks to cling to a life raft? We have this available to us all of the time. And this church is doing good with it. I was so excited when we went to Padre. I heard you all all met. Brad called the other night and asked if we could do something. And uh, I already had another place that I, I needed to be. And uh, Brad said something that I thought was awesome. He said, you know, that's true. I need to find a way to fellowship with more people. I think that is the best thing that I've heard in a long time. Recognizes that fellowship's are important, and if you don't get it at point A, what do you do? You don't grow weary and you don't give up in doing what is good. At the proper time, you will reap the harvest. You pick up the phone and call somebody else. Jennifer called the other night and asked if my wife could go to a movie. And she couldn't. So she called Mandy. And she called Cassidy. She called whoever else. She ended up in a movie. Guys, sometimes this takes a little work. But you do it because you need it. Nobody's excluded from that. Nobody. You cannot get strong in the kingdom without fellowshipping with other people. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Those of you that listen to Sunday's message may consider that more spurring than loving. But it's aimed at good deeds. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Guys, I need your encouragement. It's why we get together. It's why we meet here. Today is Father's Day wanted to tell you that more than 270 times in the Bible, God is called Father. It's actually 277 times. 271 of the 277 times, it's the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? Jesus came, according to John 1.18, to make our Father known. 
Today's Father's Day, and we're going to honor our earthly fathers. We're going to love them. We're going to be thankful for all that they did. Jesus came to reveal to us the way in which God, the great Creator, generic name for God, is a personal Father to you. In fact, when the Spirit of Jesus is in you, it's a Spirit that cries, Abba, Daddy, Papa, Father. I'm happy to be loving God on Father's Day, but I'm even more happy that all of you do. Because when we're joined together in fellowship with our Daddy God like this, it drives home the fact that we're all brothers and sisters and that we have all things in common and that we really are family. You don't think it's strange to go to a family reunion and love on people and share food and do all of those things? Well, it ought not be in the church either. You know? I really do view you as my family. There is no question that that's true. And I hope you view not just me that way, but everybody left and right with absolutely no exclusions. Does that make sense? Okay, y'all stand up and pray.